My agent called, he said he got some interest in my script I'm glad I didn't tell him that I never finished it I got my cast of characters and outline for the plot I even got a famous classic case of writer's block Get it out of my head 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 Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On the Page. Joining me, I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited. Um, my guest is Kirsten, aka Kiwi Smith. Hello, Kirsten. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. Now, do you like to be called Kirsten or Kiwi? I like to be called Kiwi, probably. Okay. Because Kirsten always gets mispronounced. There's a million different variations, and that's been my childhood nickname, and that's just what I started encouraging people to call me, just for ease of like remembering it. Well, everybody, remember this. Call her Kiwi, and, uh, <laughs> yes. and you'll want to because Kiwi Smith, ready? She is the co-writer of... Legally Blonde, 10 Things I Hate About You, She's the Man, The House Bunny, Ella Enchanted, and The Ugly Truth, all of which she co-wrote with her screenwriting partner, Karen McCula. Yes. She is also, oh my gosh, um, also the co-writer of the new female-driven Goonies-esque comic series, Misfit City, which was released last month via Boom Studios, critically acclaimed Boombox imprint. And she's currently developing the Expendables with her writing partner as well. And yes, this is the movie. Uh, this is the female version of the classic action comedy franchise, The Expendables. Also developing Sister Act 3 for Disney. So uh, a little bit busy. <laughs> a little bit. I like to have a lot of things going on at once. Incredible. Okay, I need to start by fangirling out on two movies because Do I it. love them so much. And then we're going to go to all the stuff that you want to talk about. <laughs> I'm happy to talk about it all. <laughs> this is we're going to talk about. This is what I want to talk about. You have to understand that I have been dogging Kiwi for like, what is it, like half a year? Like, <laughs> it seems like a minute, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. Like, can you come on now? Can you come on the show now? Are you busy? Can you come on? Um, because I just, like I said, I'm a big fan. Um, I'm really, I'm a huge fan of Legally Blonde. I felt like that was a game changer when it came to comedies because it allowed a, sort of a, a funny, pretty woman, right? Yeah. Like, who, you know, goes from being like unlikably dumb mm -hmm. to being uh, admirably smart because she had it in her the whole time. Very empowering, but in a non-traditional way. Um, yeah. How did you come up with Legally Blonde? Oh, we came up with it. It was sent to us uh, from a couple of different producers. It was an unpublished manuscript written by Amanda Brown. Um, and it had been kind of making the rounds as a potentially good movie idea that hadn't yet found a publishing home. And um, we reread it. Uh, Mark Platt's company sent it to us and, and another producer um, as well. And it just was clear that it was a great story. And all the big beats of the story were there. You know, her character, the fish out of water set up. And um, different things happened in, in the manuscript than ended up happening in the screenplay but it was just like such a fun idea and you don't 
get those ideas coming across your desk very often, you know? So it was a complete blessing and, and we began talking to these two different producers about it and, and, um, expressing our enthusiasm and, and then slowly inching it forward. And it, and it ended up selling at MGM. I don't know if the, if you care about all these various like detaily things, is that interesting to, we like detaily things here at on the page. Go for it. Okay, cool. (laughs) Um, yeah, then it ended up selling to, to MGM with Mark Platt producing it. And then it became an open writing assignment. And then, uh, we had to, compete with a few other writers who were interested and ultimately uh, ended up coming up with the best take on the story. And and I think we were the only people that Mark put forth to the studio at that point. I think he kind of, he tested us. He put us through the paces and said, um, you know, really challenged us to present the best story possible. And then we went and we pitched it, pitched our version of the movie there. And then they hired us to write it. And so, 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 you know, your take on the movie, when we talk about pitching uh, in this way to get a, a writing assignment, what do you think it was with your take that was different from everybody else's take that, that he gravitate, oh, gravitated toward? I wonder. Toward? I mean, I, well, we were quite, uh, I, I think it was maybe timing to, like, 10 Things I Hate About You was just about to come out. Um, and that was, that, that was kind of nice fortuitous timing. I mean, we wore pink to the pitch meeting. I know you're not supposed to do gimmicky things like that, but we were just so like bubbly and excited and raring to go. And I think he probably sensed that um, between Karen and I, because Karen was like a fashion merchandising major in college and I was sort of like radically, you know, super optimistic and um, between maybe just our energies and also our commitment to the process of making sure we just kept going until the story was right. He he saw that in us, we just really identified with this character and we were hell-bent to bring her story to life. And I think we, we came up with some other, some some kind of fixes, some some things that were different from the book that that we wanted to do in the script. And and I don't know, I, I wish I could tell you who pitched what and what our kind of key ingredient was, but... I think it probably came down to uh, our kind of collective voice and matching up with how he saw the character. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, in class, I use I used this as an example in terms of uh, developing a character from their own flaw and turning that flaw into a skill, that that can be a real secret mm. to character development. And I think she's a great example of that because here she is, you know, sort of ruled by her vanity in the beginning, but then uses that vanity to help win the court case at the end, right? She knows how long I think it's a, a, a permanent will yes. set for, right? Yes. And that, that particular skill that comes out of her flaw is what helps save the day. Um, who came up with that? Yeah. I got to know. I, there were seeds of that in the in the book for sure. I guess I never thought of it really as her vanity as more like a specific niche superficial interest. It may be, you know, uh, but uh, probably that's splitting hairs. But uh, yeah, I think seeds of that were in the book for sure. The perm thing was in the book, so it's. I mean, it's a genius. It's a genius touch, and then we just kept amplifying it in in the movie screenplay. So how do, what do you mean by amplifying it? 
I think just look, looking for all those, all those little moments where she has a superpower, you know, that her superpower is, is so specific. And um, anytime we, can, we could bring that out, whether it's her knowledge of, you know, she clocks the guy recognizing her shoes as gay, and then that cracks the case and, in a way. And so any, any little detail like that where she kind of has these unique Elwood's isms that she can use. No, is is that would you say sort of recognizing a character's superpower? Is that a good way in for writers in general? Do you think for them to be thinking about all of their characters in terms of what is their unique thing yeah. that they do? What is their superpower? Yeah, I think that's a very good point, and and um, I like how you said the flaw as well. I think it's a combination, right? Like, what is that? What's their what's their worldview? What can they do that no one else can do? What what's that little piece of them that that needs repairing? Or um, it's just about really building a, a very well-rounded human, so that there's a lot of different things that they're a lot of different aspects of their personality that are, that can drive the story that they need to look at within themselves that can that can change people around them. Now, I have to. Uh, so I'm going to go to my other favorite movie in this bunch, and that is Ella Enchanted. Oh, wow. And the reason is, um, so around the time that Ella Enchanted came out, what year was that? Was that like 2003? No, four, five? I, okay, so that I, would mean I had a, a five-year-old daughter, okay? Yes. And I have, uh, and I, I have, they are now 16 and and 12, my daughters. Wow. But let's just say this. We watched a lot of princess movies, right? <laughs> a lot of princess movies. And the only one that I could watch over and over again, the only one I silently cheered for every time they picked it was Ella Enchanted. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I just, I, I loved everything about it. I just loved its premise. I loved its journey. I loved how she sang a queen song in the middle of it. Um, I also like found her, I found it, you know, very, it paid an homage to fairy tales in a really pure way. It didn't, it didn't feel uh, snarky about it. I just loved it. How did you feel about that movie? I, I really, I really like it. Um, I, I loved the, premise of it you know that it it seemed to be such a feminist premise of this girl who's been given this curse of obedience and then her trying to break free of it that just felt to me like that's why I fell in love with it and really 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 wanted to write it and um it was challenging at the time because Karen really didn't want to like the thought of writing ogres and like trolls and magic kind of made her crazy. But I, that, that empowerment message to me was, was a thing that really works still in the movie today. I re I recently watched a little bit of it and it is, there's real charm to it. And the director, Tommy O'Haver is an incredible guy. and, And that was our first time just in terms of the process of writing it despite like the ogre issue that she was having still, it was really fun because we got to collaborate with the director and uh, break the story with him and develop uh, um, the structure of the movie with, in collaboration with the, with a filmmaker. We'd never done that before. And then, um, and then we went off and, and wrote the script after we'd done this kind of extensive, like two week long process of, of figuring out 
the 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 movie structure and it is based on a book also so we had that but we had to really move move further away from the book in Ella Enchanted I I felt like then we maybe further than we did in Legally Blonde I mean both of them were pretty we had to separate ourselves from the material a bit how much how much wiggle room do you feel you have when you're doing an adaptation I I think it depends on the structure of the book like I I feel like if the book's got a great structure then I want to I, I want to just com- use all the the gold that the author gave um, but if it's if it's a premise type book uh, these are those are the hardest for me where it's like it's a good setup but then where it goes you know you can do whatever you want with it that's where I'm I'm I, I like it when there's a strong structure, and both of those, both of those, um, Gail Carson Levine and Amanda Brown's books both had really nice structures where we could sort of ba- basically follow the beginning, middle, and end of it. Um, you know, so I, I, I kind of like that because then the author's doing so many, so much good work for you. <laughs> <laughs> now, with Ten Things I Hate About You, which is an adaptation of Taming of the Shrew, yes, um, how, how religiously did you follow the original structure of that i mean i think we've well that we we did a lot of we had a lot of license because we were updating it for high school Mm -hmm. and um but we really studied the play um and that's that's how we started it gave us an incredible foundation of all those like twists and turns and shakespeare's machinations of the wagers and you know the behind the scenes I'll do this if you do this to help me out with this goal I mean it's the play has so much of that juicy stuff in it and uh, yeah I'm sensing a theme here that we can just as long as we find good things to rip off then we're golden (laughs) (laughs) but I mean also I mean look there's the the theme of of strong female characters yes are any of these do any of these have a male character male lead looking here I think you know, I guess tenth ugly. The ugly truth is a it's a romantic comedy so with a shared kind of. It's a two hander, I guess you'd say. And I think in ten things, Heath's character could kind of be considered a um, a male lead in a, in in a way. I guess well, that, that Petruchio character is real strong. You yeah, know? like I mean, you have to start from an incredibly strong place. Yes. with with somebody like that. Yes. Um So, is this something that was intentional, or is just sort of like these are the kind of stories that you gravitate towards? Yeah these these are the stories that I gravitate towards, and these are the kinds of movies that I want to watch, and and so I want to write, I want to see movies about women, and I want to write movies about women, and. And that's it's it's less interesting to me to write about men, and um, Karen's very good at it actually. She's got a like she was a soror in a sorority, so she grew up as a little sister in a with a fraternity. She loves writing great guy characters, so it's a real gift for me. I'm much more interested in the female brain, mm-hmm. so I think we've been able to have. Um, strong guy characters in our female-driven stories. What do you think are some of the mistakes that, or, or I, should, I shouldn't say mistakes, I should say some of the cliches when it comes to female characters? Because one thing I like about your stuff is you're not, like I said, you're not afraid to make a character 
pretty and smart. You're not afraid to make her dimensional in the way that like she likes beauty, but she also wants to do law. Like, I mean, there's all these things about her that it's not just like, no, a, a smart woman has to look or act a certain way, that kind of thing. You know, on the other hand, you know, tip any of these things too far and it's a disaster. Yes, right. Yes. So, so where do you think people go wrong? Where do you think the cliches are? What don't you ever want to see on screen again? And what do you try and stay away from? Hmm. Well, I, I mean, I don't really like nagging wife character, Mm -hmm. like the character in hangover, you know, it felt like, I mean, those, those are where I don't, I don't really like the dumb, you know, dumb promiscuous butt of joke female character. I mean, these are all, all the obvious ones that I, I do feel like we're moving away from pretty, pretty clearly now. Yeah, I think we are too, but I think it took something like House Bunny to use it, like dumb perspic- <laughs> right. Per- promiscuous, right? Yes. You made her the lead, you know? <laughs> like you had like, let's, let's take that one full on, right? So I think it takes somebody kind of breaking it down first to make everybody go, oh, that, okay, that's all right. You know? Yeah. I mean, she, that character is just so full of love to me. Yeah. You know, and I think that's a, that's a dimension that I really like putting into these different female characters is, is, um, a lot of just love for other people or part of it might be about them cracking open the, the place where they were scared to show their love and, you know, connecting. But, but I like a joyous character. Oh, that's a really cool way to see it. You know, like, cause it's, it's sort of a, a yes and way to go. Yeah. They've got all this stuff, <laughs> but, and they've got joy yeah. and they've got love and they've got passion for something. And so suddenly you put that layer over, over what we expect from a character and it makes it interesting. It makes it deep. It makes us relate to that person. Yes. I think, uh, I think Curia, I think if a character is, you know, generous and, and curious, those are, those are good things to, to think about with your characters too. Um, just want a, per, a character that wants to connect to other people. Yeah, I have to tell you a funny story about my my twelve year old, yeah. which um, should make you. Uh, hopefully, it'll it'll make you realize how relevant your movies still are. So, um, ten things I hate about you. Okay, so she yeah. was looking for a movie to watch, and uh, and she was going through her like Netflix thing and everything, and I wanted to watch ten things I hate about you and. Pre- preparation for this podcast so I go here why don't you check out this trailer right and uh so she's she's watching it she's watching it she's just kind of like not reacting and stuff like that and then she just grabs the computer from me and starts going into her room and I was like well hey what about that movie that she goes yeah I'm gonna watch it and I was like well great let's let's set it up she was like not with you I'm not gonna watch it with you that's like that's like not a movie you would watch with your mom (laughs) so I just want to let you know and she watched it she loved it she did yeah she totally loved it you know great um but I just want to let you know you know still right it's It's the right now it's like a, some kind of a secret pleasure, that movie or something. That's yeah. really cool that she liked it. Yeah, yeah. Did she, would, would she watch it with you 
now? Do you think now that she's actually seen it once? I will ask her. Okay, I will yeah, ask I her. I want to know. Let me know what she says. Of course, I made the horrible mistake afterwards of going, you know, that was based on The Taming of the Shrew by, by Shakespeare. <laughs> and she was like, oh, geez. You know, like, like it suddenly just ruined it for her. But, you know, it's a mom thing. I, can, I couldn't help it. I had to make a lesson yes, out of Yes, yes. I, I think it is used in... People have said they watched it in high school as part of their Shakespeare class. Which makes sense, right? you got to make things accessible. It's little, yeah. It's, I mean, it's got a couple jokes in it now that I, I'm, I'm pleased to see because they're pretty, they're pretty edgy jokes. But I think PG-13 is probably that would be a little more R-rated now. Oops. I sent my 12-year-old into a room with it. Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> Whoops. No. She's seen a drawing of a penis on a face. <laughs> ah, that's all right. Uh, out, of, out of... It's nature, you know? <laughs> what, what's your favorite movie that you've written? Uh, probably 10 Things. Yeah? It, I, well, and I love House Bunny. And I love Legally Blonde. They, uh, uh, 10 Things just has a like an emotional place because we, we were... So, you know, it was all of our first movies, all the the cast, it was all their first movie and and we you know, it was the first thing that we ever sold and it it like through some crazy fluke it got made and and it just it just had this feeling about it that was very very exciting. Um very so it was just filled with a kind of joy of like discovery. Oh my gosh, we're actually doing this and and uh Legally Blonde was, you know, I mean, that's a that's a defining film and was an w- incredible experience making it. And we really were so very welcomed by the director and by the producer and we were never rewritten. And that was that was lovely, too, because on 10 Things, there were some moments where we were we were off the movie. Then we had to come back onto the movie and reinstate all of our things that were changed and a little bit of drama there. But um and then House Bunny, I just, it was very special because we got to create uh, the move, the story with the actress who played, uh, who played the titular role. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we, uh, we, it, it, it was spawned from a, a coffee meeting that we had had with Anna Ferris where we said, uh, we'd had, a, we told our agent like, this is such an incredible actress. We saw this movie, Just Friends. Have you seen that? I don't know. I may have because I remember being a big Anna Faris fan. And she's, she's yeah. got so much. She, she's fantastic in that movie. And she plays kind of the villain, a comic villain in it. And so we said that we wanted to have a coffee meeting with her and, and just get to know her and see if she had any ideas for characters that she was interested in playing. And, and she, at that meeting, she was like, I really... I really, I do have some ideas and I really am curious to know about like Playboy bunnies. Like what happens to them when they get kicked out of the mansion? Like where do they go? And and I had this one idea for this character. Like maybe she goes back to North Dakota and she gets addicted to crack and and then she falls in this bad in bad situations with a priest and and we're like wait what's happening? This is this is such a dark story. She really went dark with it. And then, um, but she was so funny, you know, as she's telling these dark things, you're just dying laughing because she clearly has this character like nailed. And, and then uh, a couple months later, we kept thinking like, that's a great, that's a great woman, that character. And then where does she, what happens to her? And 
we had this idea that we had put away, put into a folder that was about a um, very stern, uptight woman who um, who has forced to live in a sorority, like the old, the craziest party girl sorority that um, there is on campus. And she's like she's like a Tina Fey type uptight lady who's gone to straighten out the financials of the sorority. And so we were like, ooh, maybe we flip it and we have the Playboy Bunny take over that role and and she comes into a very like more uptight sorority so it kind of can enact mutual change that way That's and it was kind of a fusion of Anna's character idea and this thing that was just kind of lying around in our files I also love the fact that like what a good way to brainstorm something right mm, so yeah. many people are they get set in this one story and it can only be told this one way and you just being sort of open to well what if we just made this person the main character and it's a completely new project yeah now are you guys do you guys still sit around and brainstorm stories or do you have so many things thrown at you that it's like no stop inventing things right now <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I mean I think we generally we generally fall pretty quickly into an idea that that we like and then and then it so begins the work of the long the long process of breaking the story that usually takes us many many months as it does most people and um, you're you're a you're an index card kind of outliner yes yeah. you and and, and, and the Karen, two of you guys yeah. do it together right yeah i think we don't we don't always break out the cards until we um probably like second second act we we start to like early in the second act midpoint area we start to realize that we need the cards um we can we can pretty much brainstorm the first act into this into the beginning of the second just by taking notes. But because because well, I think that's really interesting for writers to know because they suffer so much over their first acts. And having been a studio reader before, I always tell them, don't you know? Yeah. Everybody's seen your your first act, you know, and what they really care about is that second act. You better yeah. be clever there, and you better also have a third act that really solves a problem in an interesting way. Yes. So it's kind of cool that, that that's where you really start getting yeah. sort of micromanaging your, yes. your outline. Yes. Hmm. Yeah, that's the, the second act is the hardest. I mean, that's where all the really, that's where all the work is because that's where, but I think we've started to just be very focused on midpoints. Um, then it seems like you're, you're sort of turning the second act into two acts and makes it a little more manageable, you know, looking at what's the, what's this thing that's going to happen in the middle of the story that's going to change things, make things worse for the character, what new character is going to come into the, the early middle of the story and sort of shake things up, uh, what new plot is going to come into the, into the middle of the movie to shake things up. So that's, I feel like, we we we've got a little more handle on the second act in always thinking about midpoints. You're always learning. It's like you should know how to do this in your sleep by now. But <laughs> well, it's hard every time. If everything's been instinct so far, and then suddenly you really have to kind of analyze. Well, how do we, yeah. how do we get there? Right. Yeah. Um, what about set pieces? You know, trying to find funny, comic, active, trailer-worthy scenes. That's what a, a set piece is. Yes. How do you come up with? bits oh man it is hard <laughs> it's hard i mean that was uh legally on legally blonde that was kind of the final revision point was the producer said everything's working great and we just need one 
set piece in the second act and it was weeks of us trying to figure out what was going to happen. The nail salon gets robbed. You know, there's a shootout. (laughs) No, it was just going on and on. And finally one night I was, we were in a bar and we were at our wits end. We'd pitched, oh God, we pitched all these different crazy stories and nothing was working. And and then I think I, then I said like, ooh, what if she, what if uh, Paulette has a crush on the UPS guy and Elle teaches her like a, a maneuver to get his attention, like the bend and snap. And, <laughs> and uh, Karen was like, that's funny. And I was like, well, it could be something else. He's like, no, 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 that, that, that. And then, then uh, you know, and I did the move in the bar and then, then it became a whole thing where I had to teach the move to like, Mark Platt and a choreographer and Reese. And yeah, and that's awesome. It was the choreo- Finally, it worked. And fortunately, that set piece was then became this musical number in the middle of the movie. And I had to go over to the choreographer Tony Basil's house and like teach her the step, as she called it. Oh my God! What you went over to Tony Basil's house and you taught her choreography? I taught her the bend and snap. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> Oh my God! You, hey, oh Mickey, you're so fine. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> She's incredible. Wow, that is you're just <laughs> even more royalty than I thought. <laughs> so, how did you get from all from all this to suddenly going? You know what? I'm going to write a comic book. That's what I'm going to do because we've got we've got Misfit City, right? Goonies ask comic book. It's yes. comic series, right? Yes. And it's uh, let me see if I, I'm reading it right just, here. Yeah, I'll tell you about it. Yeah, go um, for it. So one of the things that I'm noticing as things are evolving in Hollywood is, you know, I the rise of IP, intellectual property, movies based on comic books, movies based on books, you know, movies based on true life stories. So I um, I had been fortunate enough to get an email from this this uh, editor at a comic company and she said, if you ever want to write a graphic novel or a comic book, let me know. And I thought, yes, I have no idea how to do that. But that sounds really cool because I'm just noticing that that that's the foundation of so many movies now and so many TV shows now. And, And you want to try to find a way to make an original idea more, you know, kind of bulletproof in terms of selling it. And, um, my fiance's favorite movie is The Goonies, and we were driving in in uh, in Washington State, where I'm from, and we took a little side trip to the town where The Goonies was filmed in Astoria, Oregon. And as we drove into that town, um, we were like blasting the Cindy Lauper theme song and being like, "What are who are all the people that live in this town that are just like burnt out on Goonies tourists?" And so we thought that seems to be a funny movie idea, like the kids that are there in this town and then they get pulled into an actual real life Goonies style treasure hunt. So it's kind of a meta you're in the shadow of this movie that you hate and you're so sick of. And then you end up being in an adventure that's exactly like the movie kind of, uh, through some donation of an old sea captain giving a a chest, uh, a chest of goodies to, to this girl who works in a, um, the Oregon film museum, which is based on a real thing. So, Um, I don't know. I I pitched a lot of ideas to this comic company and that was the one that I finally just got most excited about because I thought that's a movie or TV show that I really want to write. And so I should just, you know, marry these things together, this curiosity about writing a comic book with 
this potential of doing a female-driven adventure movie that probably needs um, intellectual property in order to kind of create a, a market for it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, as opposed to pitching it as an original idea that's got a little bit less to fall back on. Um, so, so that's kind of that was kind of how I ended up writing a comic book and learning all about writing a comic book, which is really. It's hard to teach an old dog the new tricks. Well, I was I was wondering about that because do you have to, oh boy, write a lot less, or do you find yourself writing a lot more when it comes to comic book writing? Like like more in terms of the dialogue and less in terms of the action, or how, how does this work? I just it's weird because you you write the you write the scripts in Word like a Word document, mm-hmm. and that was really hard for me. I had to write everything in Final Draft and then and then like make my fiance translate it because we're writing it together so it is a true labor of love but I would make him then turn it into the word document and he was just like you have to learn to write it in word and I'm like why (laughs) word (laughs) (laughs) but uh, I guess um, it's only it's like 20 pages Mm -hmm. so it's less but then because it's a serialized thing you have to they put out one one a month. So once you get done with your 20-page thing, you can kind of sit back and relax, and then it starts all over again. So it's a lot of work, actually. But I'm, I'm hoping to turn it into a, a TV project. and Which I'm, is also somewhat new for you. Yeah, right? it is. I mean, 10 Things was made into a TV show. Yes. Were you, were you part of that? We were not part of that, no. So this is really your first your foyer, well, like, like you're sticking your foot in. We are, yeah. Um, I guess Karen and I, we, we were put on staff of a TV show right when we first started our careers, mm-hmm. and it was a sitcom, and that was incredibly helpful in terms of learning to pitch, because you're thrown into a room with like there was like 12 other writers and they were all very pretty professional sitcom writers, writers. So you learned to pitch stories and jokes and that was a real blessing. And we sold a couple pilot scripts and then just movies got going and we moved out of TV. But, um, yeah, I haven't really, I've, I've sold pilots, but never gone through the whole process. And I've never certainly pitched a one hour, female-driven adventure show, female ensemble adventure show, which is what this is. So it's a lot of, it's a lot of learning, you know. I learned to write a comic book, learning to do the one-hour pitch. Um, it's very, it's, it's interesting, but it it's just makes you realize, like, you're never, you never know it all. <laughs> what, what, what have you found is um, a feature habit that you have, that you have to let go of, when it comes to Television? pitching for TV, yeah. Uh, I think just letting go of structure, you know, in pitching a feature, um, you're just, you're kind of always end of act two, you know, midpoint set pieces, end of act, or end of act one. You know, you're looking at the big beats, the big kind of um, flags or whatever in the, in the pitch, uh, the big character turns, and you're building to a satisfying ending. And that's what's challenging for me about pitching TV is it's not about the ending. And it's not about really any of the structure. It's all about these triangles of like relationships. And um, yes, you can pitch a good plot twist, but it's, it's not about plot. It's about these 
expressing all these things like, and there's all these other buzzwords that you're learning, like the world and um, the week to week of it all. And like all these <laughs> phrases that it's just taken me a moment to try to really understand what those things mean. But I feel like I'm finally getting it a little bit. So, you know, we talked off mic a little bit, or I wanted to know how have things changed in the industry from the time that you know you started out to here but it sounds like you, you mentioned two things already like ip mm-hmm. and tv yeah. Right? Or, yeah or is that what you're seeing is sort of like the, the big change or has there also been any changes in terms of you know how people look at characters or look at story that that you've noticed um i th- okay well i think I think, yeah, original comedies are much harder to pitch now. I, and, and I noticed, I just saw an article in, on Deadline that was like, the death of the original comedy. Why do and they I'm, keep seeing the death of things? I don't like Could they it. stop with they that? They Right. Because like, then it's like, if don't. it's back, it's like the resurrection. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> come on, cut it out, guys. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Um, I, I, so I think that has been something to to sort of figure out how to come to terms with. I, uh, I also think, you know, rebooting, a remaking, like comedy remakes, I, that used to be such a fertile territory and so fun to be like, yes, let's remake this movie. And I don't think anybody wants a remake of a, of a movie anymore. Um, but I do think what's kind of curious is people like a familiar-ish comedy that's not a straight-up, Remake? Uh, are you noticing like, this too? Well, uh, would the Expendables kind of fall into that in a way? I mean, yeah, you've got um, that's you've got a franchise, a f- but it's yeah. it's it's and it's the next one. But now the idea is all female action heroes. Right? Yes, yes, and so that's I mean, obviously finding um, finding a franchise where you can add a, a a unique chapter onto it is is a great thing to do. It's a little trickier of a of a needle to thread because you have to woo the the studio who owns the franchise and get them to to believe in your your next chapter of it uh but i think in terms of uh, of stories and characters a different approach to that i i feel that when i first started any true life story that you would you know, talk about, oh, it's like when this happened to me in high school or here's my, you know, whatever chit-chat portion of the general meeting. That initially, uh, years ago, was like kind of a, great, okay, I don't really want to hear your stories. Let's like talk about what the movie would look like. And now I feel like because TV um, has made such an imprint on even the feature business and and that kind of style of TV pitching where it's like, loosely based on a person's real life things, you know, whether it's Lena Dunham with girls or, or Tina Fey, 30 rock, or a lot of, a lot of comedies that you see now, or at least like voice driven comedies, seem to be based on some kind of kernel of like, this really happened to the, the creator. Right. Mm-hmm. And then that's part of the promotion of it. And it's part of the net, network, um, understanding that the creator can, continue on and give you multiple seasons of a show because they live it. They understand. They live and breathe the characters. And I think that's actually kind of um, coming in, bleeding over into the feature world now into like feature comedy pitches as well. I think people are starting to, you know, 
tell they're based on it. This is really based on my true life story. And, and feature people are starting to be like, oh, tell me more. Whereas 10, 15 years ago, they'd be like, uh-huh, neat. Like, can I hear your movie bit? <laughs> right, right. Uh, open on. Okay, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but I think it also goes hand in hand with what you're talking about with an IP. Um, yes. That it's, IPs are so attractive to people that they also want to know that you are your IP. So if you can pitch something that is based on your own experience, you become that intellectual property oh. that people can exploit. So it's actually good for the Lena Dunhams of this world because she can say, I own this this story. This is me, right? Yeah. You nobody can can do this except me. Right. So right. um but also it makes it attractive to them because they feel like, well, that part of you know, it's it's something that's been out in the world and, and been tested to yeah. some extent. You, you know? are your own IP. You are your own IP. Yes. I like that. <laughs> do you say that all the time to everybody? Uh, sometimes I okay. do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a teacher. We, yes. we, we run through our material <laughs> a lot. You're, she's on to me. <laughs> um, before I, I let you go, because I know that you have to get going pretty soon, I want to ask um, it, about dialogue, because you're... Uh, such a craftsperson. Um, and we do talk about story and structure a lot, but I'm always looking for tricks with finding voice. Do you and Karen have ways that you start to hear the character, especially since you've got two people who have to hear, hear that character in the same way? I mean, we, we write out loud with each other. So we're literally hearing the characters kind of come to life for sure. And I mean, I think one of the things, this is a little, a little trick is like that I learned early on is at trying to ask, have a lot more questions in your dialogue as opposed to just flat statements where characters are saying statement, 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 like shake it up and have the characters engage each other with questions is that, I mean, that's a very little teeny micro thing, but I think sometimes it can make scene more active. Well, you know what? It's so funny because it's actually the opposite of, of advice we've gotten before, which is stop having people ask questions and say state, say statements is more powerful. I I, I teach that way. So I love that. I'm hearing the opposite. I love that you're saying no questions because now I'm going to start looking at that dialogue and say, how does, how does questioning actually help things? What, it, what does it do for you? Does it kind of give it a different energy when people are asking questions because they're more engaged, they're grabbing on? Yes, I just think that, I mean, that was just an early trick that came to me when I was writing because I found that it was just too static with people saying things back and forth to each other. If they, weren't in, if they were in an argument yeah. and you know, it's combative, then I get that like statement, statement. You're less, you're less inquisitive when you're in a in a conflict with someone. But if it's just um, kind of banter, ah. then I found that to be a way to like stir it up a little bit. So maybe maybe drama is statements and comedy is questioning maybe. a little bit. Maybe yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to look at that. I don't next know. Time we're watching a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. That was that was really helpful. I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Um, and you. and also like I just want to say I I think it's so cool about you and Karen that that you guys have stayed um, writing partners 
you know, through all of these projects yeah. and you haven't killed each other, which is great. And you seem oh. to really like each other. And I, mm. I saw something on YouTube about um, Margarita Fridays. What is, <laughs> what's up with that? And can oh I, can gosh, I join? We really have to, we, you, anytime. And, uh, we've really, we haven't done one of those in a while, but, um, you know, I think that we've always had a philosophy that when we're, trying to figure out a plot or when we're trying to write pages or when we're trying to rewrite a script based on producer notes that make us crazy. It's like the more fun we can have with it, the better. So margaritas became a key component. So everybody, I think you've gotten your, your strongest tip here, which is <laughs> make a margarita. <laughs> turn your writing into a party. That sounds good. I like it. All right. Good. We'll, awesome. We will leave it at that. Okay, great. Okay, where can everybody find Misfit City? When's it coming out and where can they buy it? Um, the first issue just came out a couple months ago and the new issue uh, comes out July 12th. So there's that's the third issue. And um, I think we're just on Entertainment Weekly's must must read must list i don't know what that i just someone Look, just anything told me that. with a must is yeah, great it's got a must yeah let's do it so it's available in comic shops it's also available at the um boom studios website and then it will come out in december as a as a book with all four issues in one volume so that'll be cool too what do you think is the the sort of the the best age like like the sweet spot, age-wise, oh, for people who are, want to read Misfit City. Oh, I think anybody... F it's like, if you're age eight, you could read it. And if you're age... Um, 38. Like 68, you could read it. <laughs> cool. I mean, my mom seems to like it, and she's 68. But she's also biased. Well, she might maybe a little bit. <laughs> yeah, just maybe. Just a scope. But, but it's so cool, too, because, I mean, you know, to be able to say... Here, twelve-year-old daughter, yes. you know, here's a comic book oh, that yeah, for sure. features girls your age. You know, how old are the girls in this? They they're um, sixteen, but it's really yeah, it's written for for kids, and um, we wanted to give it like sophisticated, funny tone, but not have it be R-rated in any way. There's no there's no like swearing in it, but it's also got a little bit of a punk, rebel, fun attitude to well, When it. you say Goonies-esque, you know, yeah. or when we think Stranger Things or whatever, yeah. you know, it's like, I think everybody sort of has that hunger for, you know, kids on an adventure who are also not saccharine kids, right? Yes. Yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll be buying it. Oh, good. Yeah. I can't wait to hear what you think. Yes. And <laughs> looking for your name all over the credits as usual. And, um, and is, there, is there a website that you like to direct people to for all things Kiwi? Or, or are we just um, good with, with Misfit for I have, now? My Twitter is um, at Kiwi Loves You. I have to update my website. Better put that on my to-do list. It's KiwiLovesYou.com, but it's a little... It's a little outdated, but I just think I'm mostly on Twitter, and I don't, I don't have a Facebook or an Instagram. No, but I problem. gotta get that. Well, be careful. You know, if you have more of those things, you're gonna get more stalkers like me. So, <laughs> so I appreciate. So you. far, it's been great for me. The stalking, <laughs> I love it. Anytime. Thank you so much again. I want to remind everybody to uh, go to onthepage.tv. Um, we've got a TV class happening here. It's a one-day TV class. Um, Sunday, August 20th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. <gasps> Maybe I should take that. Come. I'd love to have Sounds you here. Great. Yeah, be awesome. And uh, the very last hour of it. So it's, so it's me from 10 to 4 helping people 
imagine what their series is, then structure what their pilot would be. Great. Okay? Yeah, we talk about the world and the week to week and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And then in the very last hour, Carol Kirshner comes in and she's uh, head of the WGA showrunner program. Oh, and cool. she talks about the business side of it from four to five. So it's a really, That's it's a really fun class. And for people who aren't in LA, there is the video version, minus Carol, unfortunately, that is on Cinevi. And uh, again, just go to onthepage.tv, go to the recorded classes. And I've added a new recorded class, which is the pitch, so that you can also pitch stuff. Woo! So yeah, woohoo. So check that out. Check out Kiwi stuff. Check out Misfit City. And, and spend an amazing movie night watching all of her movies. Well, actually, that would be like a movie week. That would be tough. <laughs> you could do it if you if you pulled. A if you have no job movie. and don't want to sleep, do that. <laughs> you could uh, binge. You could binge them the way you do a TV show. They are totally bingeable and awesome, <laughs> like Kiwi herself. Oh, thanks, Pilar. So thanks to Kiwi. Thanks to all of you for listening, and have a good writing week. 